Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Rapsodo, the industry leader in baseball player development technology, has a special offer so your team can join the championship roster of Rapsodo users, including all 30 MLB teams, every D1 champion since 2010, and 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. Its proprietary optical and radar technology provides video output and performance insights so teams, coaches, and players can connect, feel with real-time data. For a limited time, go to rapsodo.com slash savings to get up to $1,000 off. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. The Mets made big news. They're going to have an extension for Jeremy Hefner. And I got to tell you, when I saw that piece of news, and that's great. Jeremy Hefner is a fine pitching coach. I saw extension and I got very excited because I said extension. Is it Jacob DeGrom? Is it Edwin Diaz? Is it Brandon Nimmo? And it's Jeremy Hefner. No offense to Jeremy, but a couple of days ago, we did a pod on Jacob DeGrom, focusing on his free agency, focusing on the importance of keeping him and how to replace him. We also did a pod about some of the worst Met losses, uh, Met season-ending losses. But today is, a, I think, a happier Rico Bronia because we're going to focus on Brandon Nimmo. And Brandon Nimmo is the kind of guy over the last decade that's given you a smile. And so, yeah, we may think about potentially losing him and how to replace him, which doesn't give you a smile. But overall, Brandon Nimmo has been a really good Met. And when you think of the name Brandon Nimmo, you can't help but smile. And you may have noticed I said a decade. And the reason I said a decade was because Brandon Nimmo is one of those guys, and we have this with a few guys, where we know about them the day they're drafted. You know, in the case of Jacob deGrom, When the Mets drafted Jacob DeGrom, we never thought about it. We didn't know about it. In fact, a lot of us didn't know about Jake until maybe a year, less than a year, until he was called up in 2014. And that happens a lot with prospects where, you know, you hear about guys when they start to get close. But Brandon Nimmo was a guy we heard of right away. And we heard about him right away for a few reasons. Number one, it was Sandy Alderson's first draft as the general manager of the New York Mets. Remember, Sandy replaced Omar Minaya. There was new hope with Sandy. He was going to kind of turn the Mets around. And so when he made that draft selection in 2011, there was a little bit more focus on it because this was his first. And they drafted a guy in Brandon Nemo, who I think we all first called him Brandon Nemo because we thought about the movie Finding Nemo. And then we all noticed, wait a second, this guy can't play high school baseball because his high school didn't have a baseball team. So the first things we saw about Brandon Nemo were a little, really? What the hell's this guy going to be? But we heard about him, and we kind of kept our, our brain on him for a couple of years. And then before he ever got to the major leagues, the selection of Brandon Nemo faced criticism because the guy who was selected right after Nemo unfortunately isn't with us anymore, but he was great for a while. And that's the late Jose Fernandez. So for a while, 
we're not only hearing about the Mets drafting this high school project from Wyoming who can't even play baseball in high school because his high school doesn't have a baseball team, but now we're unfairly comparing him to Jose Fernandez who burst onto the scene with the Miami Marlins. So long before Brandon ever made his major league debut, before we knew that much about him, he was a name we had heard of and a name that faced criticism. He did face criticism, and a part of that was the connection to Sandy Alderson. What is Sandy doing? He's taking this high school project. What's the deal with him? And here's what's funny about Brandon Nimmo. When he was first called up in 2016, and remember, the Mets have expectations in 2016. Uh, They're coming off a year in which they won the National League pennant the year before. Obviously, the following year, we're at that moment before Matt Harvey had gotten seriously hurt and Jacob deGrom had gotten hurt. We're still thinking, hey, this Met team can win the division. This Met team can make the playoffs. Maybe they can go on another postseason run. So Nimmo's called up as part of a team that mattered, not as part of a, hey, we're rebuilding, we suck. Let's see what the kids have. And Brandon made his major league debut back in June of 2016 and didn't play a major role on that team in 2016. He actually only played 32 games, but when he did play, he showed you a little bit, a tiny bit, you know, hit a little bit, hit about 270, 275, and then promptly was sent back to AAA. So it really didn't make much of an impact in 2016. What I remember, though, about 2017, when he was on the team for however long he was, and it wasn't a long time, he got called up in the middle of June, kind of a similar trajectory time-wise as 2016. What I remember about Nemo in 2017 is that he came up and didn't play all the time which was unusual because usually when you have a top prospect, when you have a guy that was taken in the first round, they come up and play. They don't come up and ride the bench. And Brandon Nimmo was pretty much treated like a fourth outfielder. But what jumped out at me is that he was really good coming off the bench. And so the the splits were there. Like Brandon Nimmo as a pinch hitter was an effective hitter. When he started games, the, the times that he did, he wasn't nearly as effective. So I'm thinking at this point, I'm looking at this 24-year-old former first-round pick, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a pretty good left-handed bat off the bench. And look, is is there anything wrong with that? Not necessarily. When you take a guy in the first round, you have higher expectations. But at this point, it's 2017. It's six years later. Like I, I can't be beholden to what the expectations were six years earlier. And look, there's a lot of first-round picks that just never even make it to the major leagues let alone can carve out a role. So Brandon Nimmo in 2017 plays 69 games. It shows us his eye. You know, that was the one thing that jumped out at us. Showed us he has an ability to get on base and always had a high on base percentage, was relatively productive, and then the season's over. And here's the big part of Brandon Nimmo where everything started to turn. There were two stories going on during the offseason of 17 into 18. Number one, was Giancarlo Stanton. I never thought that the New York Mets were going to go after Giancarlo Stanton. At the time, we were owned by the Wilpons. You may recall that. You may remember that. The Mets had also locked up Yoenis Cespedes. So they were never going after Giancarlo Stanton. But Sandy Alderson made a comment. And that comment, you know, all these years later, actually looks not too bad. But at the time, he pissed off Pete Hoffman, and he pissed off me. 
Because he said, in terms of going after Giancarlo Stanton, why would we need Stanton? We have Nimmo. Now, in fairness, Brandon Nimmo had been in the major leagues for two years, was a part-time player, and at that point was mostly showing that he could be a good left-handed bat off the bench, but he was still young, so we never really knew. But at the time, it only played 101 games. Was a 265-270 hitter and had hit six career home runs. And our general manager is saying, who needs Stanton? We've got Nimmo. And I personally didn't find it funny. Hoff, did you find it funny when Sandy said that? I hated every ounce of it. And I hated Sandy for the most part after that for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, little did we know, he may have been right. Now, the other thing that happened during that offseason, and I take complete ownership of this. I always think it's important to be held accountable for the things you say, good and bad. During the offseason of 2017, again, I've pretty much defined what Brandon Nimmo was in case you forgot. He'd been in the major leagues for parts of two seasons, showed some signs, don't get me wrong, showed some signs of being productive, but was not an everyday player at this point. Had played all parts of the outfield. He was still relatively young, 25 years old, so we don't know what he is yet. There were rumors that the New York Mets were interested in Andrew McCutcheon. Now, in fairness, Andrew McCutcheon was 30 years old at the time. He was a few years removed from his MVP season, but was 30 and was coming off a season in which he had 279, hit 28 home runs, and had an 850 OPS. Pretty good. Not too bad. And the Pirates were looking to deal him. The Pirates had realized, all right, our window is pretty much closed on that little run that they had where they made the playoffs a few times, got to the wild card game, and they had realized, all right, it's probably over for us. So the Pittsburgh Pirates were ready to move on from Andrew Andrew McCutcheon as a 30-year-old, still productive outfielder. Now, he wasn't the guy he was in 13 and 14 when he's winning the MVP but still a productive player. I wanted Andrew McCutcheon. I raised my hand. I absolutely wanted the guy. Was never convinced he was going to be the MVP again, but I saw a guy with an 850 OPS, really good eye, a little bit of pops, still had some speed. Why not? The New York Mets balked at trading for Andrew McCutcheon. Now, Hoff and I could say, yeah, they really balked because of the money. And maybe they did. They were owned by the Wilpons. It may have been more about the money. But Sandy Alderson claimed I balked because they wanted Nimmo and we weren't willing to give up Brandon Nimmo. And I remember being on the midday show with Joe where we both said, you got to do it. We're trying to win now. Nimmo's 25. Sure. He's young. Sure. He's got potential, but will Brandon Nimmo ever be as good as Andrew McCutcheon? And the truth is no, he's never going to be the MVP from 2014, But from that moment on, because McCutcheon ended up with the Giants, eventually a short time with the Yankees, a couple years with the Phillies, a year with the Brewers. When you look at what Andrew McCutcheon then did, yes, Nimmo would be better. I didn't know that at the time. I take my big L. But Andrew McCutcheon, when you look at his time with the Giants, still somewhat productive, but not that good. His short time with the Yankees, where he actually was a pretty good Yankee, but it was only for a few weeks. His time with the Phillies, He was clearly not the same player. He was a part-time player. So to Sandy's credit, and to my blame, the New York Mets were right. Sandy got it right. And maybe it's because Sandy drafted him six years earlier and felt a loyalty 
to Brandon Nemo. But he decided not to make the trade for Andrew McCutcheon. <clears throat> and excuse me, we are all better off. Because in 2018, Brandon Nemo was given the chance to be an everyday player. And that's when we as Met fans fell in love with Brandon Nemo. Because not only did we see Brandon Nemo get on base 40% of the time, not only did we see Brandon Nemo finish with an OPS that's as good as we've ever seen in a full season from him, even better than this past season of 886. We saw him show a little bit of pop by hitting 17 home runs. We saw him get hit by a million pitches. And we saw an everyday player that was productive. He wasn't great defensively in center field when he played center field. And he played all over the outfield. Played a little right field, played a little left field, played a little center field. But we saw that the former first-round pick from 2011 could be a productive player. And he was in 2018. And that's when we realized Sandy was right. Sandy was right to not trade him for Andrew McCutcheon. He wasn't the perfect player, but he was a good player. What happened to Brandon for the next three years, and I I should take out 2020 if I'm being fair. 2020 is a very weird year to gauge. So I'll say 2019 and 2021 is we saw the thing with Brandon Nemo that was always a concern. He couldn't stay healthy. We knew when Brandon played, he was productive. I think he'd already shown that. He showed that in 2018. And he showed that when he was on the field in 19, when he was on the field in 20, which was most of the season. It was just an abbreviated season. So again, weird to look at. And he showed it in 2021. If Brandon Nimmo plays, he's productive. He's got a little bit of pop. He'll get hit by a million pitches. He's got a great eye. He'll strike out a lot, but he'll get on base. He's an on-base machine. And to me, I viewed that as the perfect ninth place hitter because I've always thought I want my ninth place hitter to be a second leadoff hitter. So I have another guy getting on base before my big bats. But Brandon Immo was so good at getting on base, he wasn't a ninth place hitter. He was a leadoff hitter. But Brandon needed to do two things going into this past season in 2022. Not only for the Mets to have success, but for Brandon Immo to really establish himself as a real good everyday player who eventually gets paid in free agency. And those two things were very simple. Number one, he needed to stay healthy. Up until that point, and I'll you know kind of forget 16, 17 and, and his years as a minor league, or I'll look at his major league years. He was healthy in 18 for the most part, played 140 games, which I think nowadays is essentially a full season. In 2019, he only played 69 games. That is not acceptable. That's well short of half a season. 2020, he absolutely played. Weird to look at. It's a 60-game season. But in 2021, he only played 92 games. So think about this. Brandon Immel went into the 2022 season only having played 100 games or more one time. Brandon Nemo needed to show he can be healthy. We know he's productive, but can he be healthy? Second thing he needed to do was get better in center field. Brandon Nimmo, in my opinion, here's another case where I'm going to take an L because I was wrong, was a corner outfielder. In fact, I shouldn't even say I'm taking an L on this, Hoff. He wasn't a good center fielder. That's not a wrong opinion. That's a fact. He wasn't. But to the kid's credit, he worked his ass off and became a good center fielder. So I guess if I or you were saying Brandon Nimmo can't be a center fielder, then that would be wrong. We were wrong. He proved us wrong. 
But in 2021 and 2020 and 2019, if you watch the Mets every day the way we do and you watch Brandon Nimmo, it was absolutely accurate to say he's not a very good center fielder. But in 2022, he was a very good center fielder. And in 2022, he played 151 games. So he accomplished the two things he needed to accomplish. He needed to be healthy and he needed to play center field well. And he did both. Now, I admit, a lot of what I saw from Brandon over the parts of seven seasons he was here, I doubted. I doubted he could be an everyday player. He turned out he could. I doubted he could stay healthy. At least he did in 2022. And I doubted he could become an everyday center fielder at a level that's acceptable. And he did. And I thought it behooved the Mets to trade him for Andrew McCutcheon. And I was wrong. And I thought it was smart for the Mets to get Stanton over him. Well, Stan's a hell of a player, but when you factor in the money and you factor in Nimmo's production, I was wrong. How'd you feel about Brandon Nimmo over the last seven years? Did you feel differently about him? So here's the thing about Nimmo is to me, he reminds me, and it's in a good way, reminds me of a left-handed Hunter Pence. Hmm. Now, um, it's it's... Not numbers-based either. It's a lot of physical play. It's about what he does on the field. It's about his at-bats. It's like he's got this awkward, weird, gritty, dirty style to him, which gives me like a feel. Like if if I wasn't a Met fan, I'd be like, that's the type of guy I want on my team. The problem is is that I I do see like some of the the flaws that he brings with him where it's like he's our leadoff hitter. I like the on base, but I I don't trust him get, making as much contact as some other people. I still worry about his defense sometimes at center field, even though we saw him this year make a huge catch at the wall in in that uh you know in that what was it the the, the Grom was the Dodger Grom game yeah with Jake on the mound yeah yep, yep, yep. it was amazing. So for that part, there's a lot of really good raw stuff about him, but he's not that complete numbers player, which brings his his num which which brings him down like a couple tiers. But overall, I, I can't complain about what he's done. I just feel like I'm looking for more. Well, the, the problem is, who gives you more? And that's one of the big things we're going to talk about. A, how much should Brandon Immo be paid? B, if you don't want to pay him, who replaces him? And I think when you go deeper into that, you realize that they sort of have to bring him back. Because if you're looking for a better player than Brandon Nemo, and you're you're right, there are holes in his game. He's not a perfect player. Now there aren't many perfect players, but he's not. You know, he's not a great player. He's a good player. In fact, maybe he's a very good player. But there isn't an answer that's better. And we'll go deeper into that. It's funny you bring up Hunter Pence. I've been racking my brain over the last few days in preparing for this in trying to figure out comparative contracts. To Brandon Nemo. And Hunter Pence isn't a perfect comparison, but it's a solid comparison. He's not a center fielder, hit for a little bit more pop, right hand hitter, but I get it. Like, kind of that grindy, gritty uh, guy that fans love, but a productive player. OPSs are somewhat similar. Hunter Pence had a contract in 2014, again, a long time ago, that kind of fits in the whole hey, what's a similar contract to what Brandon Nemo may get? And Pence was a part of that. 
Um, Nimmo to me, I know we live in a new age of baseball, but some things are pretty basic. What do you want from a leadoff hitter? Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are listening right now who still envision the speedster, still envision the base stealer. And maybe with the bigger bases in baseball in 2023, maybe we go back to that. But for now, that's not what I'm looking for because there aren't a lot of that. There's not a lot of base stealers in baseball. And look, if you find a base stealer, but he only gets on base 32% of the time, I don't want him leading off. Because the guy who's leading off, to me, number one priority, and I think this is pretty obvious. I don't even think what I'm saying is crazy, is that he needs to get on base at a high percentage. Obviously, if I'm Aaron Judge, I know the Yankees were kind of forced into it. I want my slugger not necessarily leading off. I want my slugger driving in guys. So if my highest on base guy is also my best hitter and my best run producer, maybe then I don't want him leading off. Brandon Nimmo is not that. Brandon Nimmo is not the Mets' best run producer. But Brandon Nimmo is one of the better guys they have at working a deep pitch count, working a long at-bat, and drawing a walk. And Buck Showalter said this a lot throughout the season. Sometimes, frustratingly, he'd say this, and I'd get annoyed. But sometimes I'd say he's right, and that is Brandon Nimmo can change a game in the first inning. Brandon Nimmo can win a game in the first inning because he can make a starting pitcher throw 10 pitches, which not only makes him unload his arsenal, but in a day and age in which most starters aren't going more than 90 pitches, if a guy gives you a 10-pitch at-bat right out of the gate and you know he can't throw more than 90, do the math. He's already allotted 11% of his pitches to the first batter of the game. So a guy that can get on base, and yeah, a guy that can work deep pitch counts. I I think they're similar, though. If you get on base a lot, you're naturally going to work a deep at bat, and you're naturally going to see a lot of pitches. That's just the way it is. So from that standpoint, while he's not perfect, and he does strike out a lot, uh, I can't dispute that, he is what I want from a leadoff hitter. Because if you go out, start looking for a better one, you're going to have a tough time finding it. So what Nimmo's become for me is a much better defensive center fielder, which is important. He's not the best, but he's gotten better. To me, he still plays way too deep, way too deep. Now, that helped him on the home run you mentioned against the Dodgers, but you'll see a lot of little bloops fall in. And I think the great center fielder will play shallow. Andrew Jones was a great center fielder. He played as shallow as anybody. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. was a great center fielder. He played as shallow as anybody. Nimmo's not, and maybe great's not the right word. He's become a really good defensive center fielder. He hasn't become great. And that's okay, by the way. Like, for him to make the jump that he's already made is awesome. And it's tremendous. But I think what is going to be so difficult about losing Nimmo if the Mets ever did is you're not just trying to find a center fielder, which isn't easy. There aren't a lot of great center fielders in baseball. But you're also trying to replace him at the leadoff spot. I look at this Met team right now, if they did lose him, Starling Marte is not an ideal leadoff hitter for me. I like him. He's not an ideal leadoff hitter. Francisco Lindor is not an ideal leadoff hitter. They wouldn't have one. Their their ideal leadoff hitter is Brandon Nimmo. And so I think that's a big, big, big part of his value. Did he, see to me, he changed a lot in 2022. My view on Nimmo today is different than it was a year ago because he went out and played 150 games. He improved himself defensively. Does your view on Nimmo feel different today than it was a year ago? 
Yeah, I'll say that. I think he had a good enough season this year uh, that as a reflection, I'd sit there. I, I would think that most teams, most fan bases out there would see that Brendan Nemo is a, a hot commodity. I do disagree with you, though. There is a leadoff hitter on this team. His name is Je- Jeff McNeil. I mean, he's the quintessential. I know he doesn't get on base as much without the swing of a bat, and that bothers some. But if you look at the, if you compare the two, when they lead off an inning, their on base is nearly the same. And I, I understand that it's different when you're leading right, off right. The, They're doing the it differently, game. but yes. But but if Jeff McNeil's leading off an inning, he's getting on base just the same amount as Brandon Nemo is. So th- that's that's my issue because I think I love everything about McNeil, and there's just things about Nemo that I that I still wanting more from, and. If you, we're going to get into it, but like what Nimmo does is enough to get by, but I think the Mets need more than that. And that's a problem because there's no one really out there that offers right. more than that. A couple of things about McNeil. Um, look, you're right. When Jeff McNeil goes out and it's 330 right off the top, he's going to go on base a lot because you don't even have to walk that much to have a really high on base percentage, which is what he did. He had the highest on base percentage on the team wasn't walking a lot. He was doing it because he got a lot of base hits. Two reasons why I would prefer McNeil not in the leadoff spot. Obviously, you lose Brandon Nimmo. He's an option. I'm not ruling that out, but Nimmo is more ideal. Number one, contact. Let's talk about contact. I prefer guys who don't strike out. I think we all do. But when you're leading off a game and you're mostly leading off innings, to me, there's less a priority on putting the bat on the ball because then there's no productive out. If you're leading off a game and you ground out the shortstop, what the hell's the difference between that and striking out, right? Pretty basic stuff. If you're batting second or you're batting third or you're batting fourth and you're up with first and second, nobody out, you can have a productive out. If you're up with a runner on second and nobody out, you could have a productive out. Then the productive out matters more. If you're leading off, and I understand you're only guaranteed to lead off a game once or lead off an inning once. That's when you're leading off. There are chances that you're going to lead off multiple other times, but to me, it's less important to make contact when you're leading off an inning because the productive out doesn't exist. Uh, that's number one. That's just the basic base. That's just an art baseball argument I have. That's why Nimmo striking out a lot, which is true. Brandon Nimmo struck out 116 times, and I've always heard, "Well, I don't want that for my leadoff hitter," and I'm like, "Why? Like, why does that freaking matter?" If he's leading off the game. And granted, that's one of three, one of four at-bats. Sure, could happen again. You go up nine, up nine, down. You're leading off again, trust me. Uh, mattered more, happened more when the pitcher was batting ninth because he was likely to make an out, which made it more likely that the leadoff hitter was leading off an inning. But if you're up with nobody on base, a strikeout, a lineout, same crap. Doesn't matter. And and not for nothing, too. And one thing that you've mentioned, Brendan Nimmo doesn't just strike out on three straight pitches. Right. Strikes out after going like 10 or 11 pitches deep. So it's a little different too. So I, you gotta get it. You, you, and, and that's the grittiness of Brendan Nimmo that, that you have to appreciate because he doesn't just go up there hacking away at just garbage and striking out three straight pitches. He's going out there right. and hacking away and found things off and watching pitches. And he's, he's, he's good. He, he's good. I can't think of the wing. And also on top of that, just to move a little bit as far as defensively speaking, uh, leadoff hitter wise, okay, fine. We, we'll just debate McNeil Nimmo. Center fielder wise, 
who would replace him on the team, you have Stalin Marte, who could fill in that center fielder role for one yeah, year. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's just center fielder of the future. No doubt. We'll get into that. There's internal options. There's outer, outernal, external options to replace him in center field. And spoiler alert, it ain't great. My only point is, yeah, there are other guys that can lead off. Like, you're, could you lead off Jeff May? Of course you can. Guy's going to hit 330 again with a 390 on base percentage. Fine. But Nimmo's ideal. To me, he is the quintessential leadoff hitter in my eyes. He's got a little bit of pop. The strikeouts don't matter as much. He gets on base. He gives you long at-bats. And he's also a big candidate to give you an extra base hit. Like, if you looked at the Mets and said, who had the most doubles on the team this year? The answer is Jeff McNeil, not a surprise. The guy who's number two is Brandon Nimmo. When you look at the guy who had the most triples on this team, the answer is Brandon Nimmo. And so... When you're leading off and you've got some of your better hitters coming up next, a double, a triple, a single, but really the double and triple, that's what I care about more so than the home run. Because if you got a big pop, a guy who can hit a bunch of home runs, I'd rather him come up with a bunch of guys on base. Either way, replacing him in the leadoff hole would be a challenge. As far as the money is concerned, and I want to make this clear whenever we do these podcasts about money, because I've said this on the air with Craig, I know I can't just say this over and over again because it's not true. And that is, there's no salary cap in baseball. There isn't. So the decision on when to stop spending is based on an owner saying, that's enough. This isn't the NBA. I do a podcast about the Nets. We're going to argue, well, you only have a certain amount of money, and this is how I would allot it. NFL, same thing. It's not the case in baseball. So I could naturally say to you, and I'm not because I know I can't, and it would just, there would be no discussion who cares what Nimmo makes? Pay him, pay everybody, and it doesn't matter. I know that's not happening, even with Steve Cohen. I know that we can't just say, give Brandon Nimmo $300 million. Who gives a crap? It's not our money. So when we talk about money and contracts, we do have to put it in the proper context that the Mets are going to have a budget at some point. What that budget is, we don't know. Maybe it's $350 million, Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's more than that. So I think all owners should just spend as much as they can. But I know that when we're talking about this, we can't treat it that way. So here are the comparables on contracts. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. George Springer, who is a better player or was a more accomplished player. I'm not talking about the future. I'm talking about when he got to free agency. George Springer was a more accomplished baseball player. Obviously, Met fans really wanted him. <laughs> he, was, he was a big part of the Mets need to sign this guy. But George Springer got to free agency after the 2020 season. And at that point, had you know just a more accomplished career. He was coming off a year... Uh, two years earlier, where he had 39 home runs and drove in 96 runs and had a 980 OPS. So he was a better player. He was a little bit older than Brandon, but not much of a difference. But he was certainly a more accomplished player, a world champion. So I don't think this is a perfect comparison in terms of money because I don't think Brandon should get this. 
But George Springer signed a six-year, $150 million deal. As good as Springer is, and I think there were very different players, because Springer had more pop, didn't walk as much, but better player. He got six years, 150. I don't believe Brandon Nemo is going to get six years, 150. Another somewhat comparison is Starling Marte, who obviously signed with us, with the Mets, and at the time was a center fielder. Mets signed him. We thought he'd play center field, but then, oh, wait, Brandon Nimmo's better. Marte's in right field, but he signed as a center fielder. He also signed a few years older than Brandon Nimmo, but also a more accomplished player. Marte signed a four-year, $78 million deal. Right off the top, I'll tell you this. And I'm just guessing. We're all just guessing. We don't know what Brandon Nimmo is going to get. A lot of it has to do with how many teams are interested, what they're offering him. He's going to get more than Marte. He's going to get less than Springer. I would venture to say Springer got six, Marte got four. I think Nimmo's looking at a five-year deal. In fact, he may get the six years. He's just not going to get as much money. I give you a comparison I thought is really good, but you got to go back a bunch of years and also not think about the way it turned out because the contract didn't not work out. But there was a center fielder who got to free agency in his age 32 season. So Nimmo's about to turn 30. He'll turn 30 right before opening day. So two years older than Brandon. And also looking at his numbers, here's what I'd say about this guy. Brandon Nimmo production wise, probably a better player, very different. And I think what hurt this guy is that, uh, trying to look at these numbers fairly here's here are his numbers before i tell you the guy 658 ops 250 average 751 ops 300 average so shows you didn't get on base enough 838 ops 307 average 747 ops 287 average and his free agent year was a 315 home run 49 rbi year 803 ops so somewhat similar the guy's lorenzo kane Lorenzo Cain left the Royals, signed with the Brewers, and ended up signing a five-year, $80 million contract. And the way that contract worked is in year one, it was great. He won a gold glove. He had a really good year. The Brewers were like, this is awesome. And then the contract went to hell at a handbasket. He wasn't productive in 2019, barely played in 2020, barely played in 2021, barely played and sucked in 2022. So (laughs) you never know. You never know how it's going to work out. But he signed a five-year, $80 million deal. The other one that I I don't think is a comparison, but I'll I'll give it to you anyway, is Byron Buxton uh, bought out years of free agency and the Twins took a gamble that he can stay healthy. And they gave him a seven-year, $100 million deal. So gave him a lot of years, gave him a decent amount of money. Based on these figures and the Hunter Pence deal, you brought up Hunter Pence. Now, this was a long time ago when Hunter Pence signed it, but Hunter Pence signed a, let me just confirm what it was before I uh, say it. I think it was like a four-year, $90 million deal. And by the way, I think that's what we're looking at. I think that's kind of in the range of his contract. Hunter Pence signed a five-year, $90 million deal. So a shade under $20 million a year. I think Nimmo gets a little bit more than that. I think he either gets five or six years. I think he gets right around $20 million a year 
So yeah, I think there's a chance he gets $100 million. So not quite George Springer money, but I would say about five years, $100 million. Knowing that the Mets have some budget at some point, you comfortable giving him that contract five years, 100? Um, it's stipulations here. Am I comfortable with that amount for Nimmo? Sure. Like I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. That that's not a big number to me. I think, I, I really think Max will be six one thirty. That that thing is as max as it will go. But that's in that range. If you tell me that that that's a move the Mets make, and that hinders from other things going on with the Mets, then I'm going to say no. I'll pass. But if you're just taking it as an isolated, is Brandon Nimmo worth that much? Would you like to see him return for that? And there's still everything is on the table. Then yes, Brandon Nemo six for one thirty, five for one one oh five, one ten, whatever. Uh, that's that's fine. That's what he should make, and he'll make that much of an impact. And I think again, and I, I said this before. I said this not to you, but I was thinking about when I was when I was diving into Brandon Nemo. He's the type of guy again. Remind me so much of Hunter Pence. I could see him have that like that stupid remember that at bat with hunter pence when he had that like hit the ball three times with his bat yeah, like yes. his bat broke and the, yeah. that's what brandon Nimmo, i could picture him in the world series doing something sh- like that ridiculous happens happening because of brandon nimmo just that type of player he is so if the mets can keep him and that happens for us then yes i, I want him around I, I do think also when you look at the outfielders that are free agents aaron judge is obviously in a class of his own after him, Brandon Nimmo is the best free agent on the market. And for anyone who's not a big Brandon Nimmo fan, saying that can't be real, oh, it's real. Unless you think uh, Andrew Benintendi is better. Unless you think Mitch Haniger is better. Unless you think Kevin Kiermeyer is better. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. And so the reason I say that is that Brandon Nimmo, and I'm just predicting here, to me doesn't sign until Judge does. Because I think Aaron Judge is going to set the market for not just really everybody, but especially outfielders. And I think Brandon Nimmo becomes, and this is where the bidding can get intense. Now, if Brandon Nimmo has the attitude of, I want to be a match, just give me a good number and I'll sign, which I think is naive. I don't think most players do that, especially once they're at free agency. They're going to wait. And, and Brandon Nimmo's a Boris guy now. So... I think we'd be naive as much as we all love Brandon. He loves New York. He runs the first base. Everybody loves him. He's going to get his. And I don't blame him for that, by the way. So if he's going to get his, we have to all wait on Aaron Judge. Because Aaron Judge going to the New York Yankees or the San Francisco Giants, and let's, let's just be honest, that's what it, that's what it is. I am not going to do an Aaron Judge podcast for the Mets because I just think it's a waste of time. Like We can mention it. We can talk about it. But I, it's not happening. I think it's the Yankees or the Giants. And here's why that matters, by the way. Either one of those teams, the San Francisco Giants or the New York Yankees, will bid on Brandon Nimmo once Judge signs with the other team. Like, who are we kidding? And why wouldn't they, by the way? Now, I get that Nimmo isn't Judge from a marketing standpoint, from a star power standpoint. But again, he's the second best outfielder on the market. These teams are ultimately trying to win. So... Brandon Nimmo's market is going to explode once Aaron Judge makes a decision on where he's going. So I have a question. You you, you keep on saying, and I this we will debate a different time. You keep on saying that Judge 
take him off of the Mets radar. That's not happening. Is that because you just don't think Steve Cohen is going to participate in that? Uh, um, okay, so a couple of things. First of all, Aaron Judge could play center field. So when we talk about replacing Brandon Nemo, Aaron Judge is a hell of a replacement. <laughs> I mean, he's better. Like, who, who's kidding who? The reason I don't think it's serious is that I think the Giants are going to go into a really deep place to try to get him. I think we're talking $350 million, $400 million, a huge number. I think the Yankees are going to feel desperate to keep him. And I don't think it's that Steve Cohen says that's too expensive. I think there's other things he's thinking about. Number one, retaining his guys. We're going to do a whole podcast about Edwin Diaz and how important he is. Edwin Diaz being one. I think they're going to make a bid for Jacob DeGrom. If they lose Jacob DeGrom, they're going to have to replace him. I believe they're going to go hard after Justin Verlander. He's going to be expensive. And the real reason that I don't think they're going to go hard after Aaron Judge, and maybe everybody's going to prefer that what I'm about to say may be true, is I think the apple of his eye is an Aaron Judge. I think the apple of his eye is Shohei Otani. And Mm. look, that's complicated because you have to trade for him. Uh, But he's a free agent at the end of next year. And I don't think the Mets are short-sighted. I think that they see Judge, Otani, and then Juan Soto. And I think that as great as Judge was this season, to them, Otani may be the big prize. As great as Judge is, I don't know if Steve Cohen's looking to just slap the Yankees in the face. I think he's looking at other things. So, look, Judge should be a part of this discussion only because he is a center fielder. He can play center field. There aren't a lot of guys that can't. Like, I'm going to go through all the potential replacements. There's not a lot. So the fact that Aaron Judge is available, sure. But I don't think you're signing Judge because Nimmo left because Judge is going to sign first. So, sure, should the Mets make an offer? Why not? He's a great player. I don't think they're going to be in the pool of where the Giants and the Yankees are going to go. That's my answer. Okay, so that that, so then that's fine. I understand that's that's realistic and that's okay. I hate thinking about two years from now because (laughs) – I think that the Mets need to do a lot uh, to get back to where they were this year. And so that sucks to even think that, well, okay, well, we're going to sit back one. You can't take any any days off. That's the first thing. Second of all, um, there's one – I looked at like the five top free agents in my mind, Judge being one, DeGrom being two. We talk about Edwin Diaz. And then you get to the shortstop angle with the Carlos Correa's and a guy named Trey Turner, which you talked about, and I – talked about earlier in the season going, how did the, the Mets find a way to bring Trey Turner to New York? And you said it, center yes. field. Is he someone that's on your so, list? So let's get to that. They don't, they lose Nemo for, for whatever reason. Um, he doesn't want to be here, which I don't think is the case. Somebody blows him away. The Mets say, you know what? We love Brandon. We're not giving you six years, 130, whatever it is. The Giants are really desperate after they lose Judge. The Yankees are really desperate after they lose Judge. Whatever the reason, Nemo's gone. Trey Turner is the intriguing option, and I brought this up a few weeks ago because, A, I think he's so athletic he can do it. I think Trey Turner can convert to center field and be good. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I think he's going to be good. Uh, He is an excellent offensive player, and offensively, he is a clear upgrade over Brandon Nemo. If Turner is interested in the project of moving to center field, he may not be. He may say, I'm a shortstop, or I'm a third baseman, or I'm a second baseman. Okay, now look, the Mets can make it work at third base and second base. But for the sake of this discussion, I would talk to him about center field. 
And I think he's got the prowess to pull it off because there aren't, here's the point. There aren't a lot of good center fielders in baseball. There aren't. And those that are really good ain't going anywhere. Julio Rodriguez, as much as we don't love him, is not going anywhere. Mike Trout, I, I kind of sort of leave out here. He's not going anywhere either for now. There just aren't a lot of really good center fielders. So sometimes you got to get creative with it. And Turner will be more expensive than Nimmo. You know, we, we floated out Nimmo contracts. Turner's getting $300 million. I think he is. Because I think all you got to do is look at Corey Seager's contract and say, why shouldn't this guy get more? So I think Turner could be the upgrade. I wouldn't even look at Turner as a backup. I would look at it as, okay, I want a center fielder for the next four years. The Mets have prospects in their system, but Alex Ramirez, A, I don't know how much he projects as a center fielder. B, I think he's going to be used as a trade chip. C, I don't know when the Mets expect him to be up here and a contributing center fielder. The other guy I'm intrigued by internally in the system is Ronnie Mauricio because he's a shortstop right now. The Mets haven't moved him off shortstop. Do they envision him being able to convert to the outfield? I'm not saying he can't. I have no idea. I think it's more likely he converts towards third base than anything. But you got to remember, guys come up as shortstops. All of them do. And they end up moving somewhere else. A lot of guys. Edgardo Alfonso came up as a shortstop. Larry Wayne Chipper Jones came up as a shortstop. A lot of guys come up as shortstops. Doesn't mean they stick there. Yankees are going to have that decision with Peraz and Volpe. So Mauricio is one of those guys who's much closer, could be in the major leagues by the end of next season. So he's not that far off. Is he someone the Mets look at as a guy that can play center field? He hasn't played there yet. He's only played shortstop. The Mets have not moved him off there. So internally in their system, they don't have a lot of right now, this would be a good fit option. So you're looking at not just this year, but the next three or four years, Trey Turner, if he's willing to do it, to me, is such a good athlete. He can do it at a really high level. So Mauricio is interesting because you talk about all these prospects and Mauricio is one of the highest ones on the Mets and you just see Lindor blocking him. So, so that's why we're starting to think about what else he could do. But all you heard about is Vientos. All you heard about was Beatty. All you heard about is Alvarez. And the one guy that kept on being untouchable was Mauricio. And I asked the question, why is he untouchable? If you're going to tell me that he may be a future center fielder for the Mets, that that's I'm locked in on that. Uh, if, but if not, you have to trade. So him. I'm going to give you part of a trade piece. I'm going to give you another basketball comparison. And don't worry, it's not the Nets; it's the Knicks. This is me spitballing here. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm giving you a theory. Billy Epler really protected his prospects at the trade deadline. He didn't want to trade a good prospect for David Robertson. He didn't want to trade a good prospect for Wilson Contreras. And you start to say, well, why? And I think there's two reasons. Number one, he doesn't want to trade his prospects. The Mets want to keep their young players. And I agree with that. At this point, sure, I just signed free agents. I don't want to be trading young pieces away unless the New York Knicks had a chance to get Donovan Mitchell. And they had all the chips to do it. And they decided this isn't worth it. Now, are the New York Knicks going to keep all their first-round picks? Or are they waiting for someone else? Are they waiting for the right guy? Now, I don't know who that right guy is yet in the NBA but I know who that right guy is in Major League Baseball. And I'll bring his name up again because I believe in two years he'll be a New York Met. And maybe he'll be a New York Met in three months. I don't know. And that's Shohei Otani. And I think that Billy Epler's thought, as much as he wanted to win last year, was 
I have to keep my prospects because if I get that phone call that Otani's available, I want him. And look, he's also a free agent at the end of the year next year. He can go wherever he wants, and he may not want New York. He initially didn't want New York when he didn't sign with the Yankees, and we were all stunned by it, and signed with the Angels. So I believe the Ronnie Mauricios of the world are going to be used as dangling chips in a blockbuster. And that blockbuster was never going to be Juan Soto because Mike Rizzo wouldn't do it. I think the blockbuster is Shohei Otani. That's what I think. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to trade him. They may not. I don't know what Artie Moreno wants to do before he sells the team, but whether it's trading for him now, trading for him at the deadline, or just signing him outright as a free agent in a year, and you said it, you don't want to wait. Well, guess what? You may not have to wait. They're going to try to trade for him. Now, we'll do a whole podcast coming up on what we'd be willing to give up. That's not today's podcast. But I will say, when you ask, where's Mauricio going? That's where he could be going. But those are your internal prospect options. The internal option is obviously Starling Marte because they signed him as a center fielder. And so playing Marte in center field opens up right field potentially for, let's say, Jeff McNeil, who can play the outfield. I really, I got to tell you right now, I don't want to go down that road. I love Marte in a corner outfield spot. I'm concerned as he gets older that, and granted, the injury he had at the end of the year was fluky. He got hit by a pitch. That was not a muscle injury. That wasn't a wear and tear injury. That was a douche on Pittsburgh not being able to control his pitches. But as Marte gets older, and they did sign him to a uh, four-year contract, let's keep that in mind. Got three more years of him. I want to keep him healthy. And I don't think shifting him to center field is the answer. So I don't like that option. So here are the external options. We'll start with free agency. Kevin Kiermeyer, there's a club option on. I'm not interested in Kevin Kiermeyer. He's 33 years old. He never stays healthy. He's a garbage hitter. Uh, great defensively. Absolutely. You want him as a late inning defensive replacement? Sure. I got no problem. But ideally, that's not where I'm going. And that's it. As far as natural center fielders are concerned, there's no one else. Aaron Judge has played center field, but as we talked about, at least in my mind, you, I think, clearly disagree. I don't think they're going to be in play for him. So now you have to find trade options. Okay? Trade option number one is Cody Bellinger. And I don't think Cody Bellinger will necessarily be a trade option more than he would be a non-tender option. Because Cody Bellinger is due to make about $19 million this year. I don't know what happened to him. I can't answer it. He's not a $19 million a year player to the point where the Dodgers are benching him in the postseason. But am I intrigued by him? Yeah. I'm intrigued by him for two reasons. Number one, he's good defensively in center field. So your worst case scenario is, all right, you have yourself a guy who can play defense in center field. And number two, when a guy is that good, not that long ago, and he's still young, isn't there a part of you that says, you know what? Get that guy a change of scenery, and he's going to figure it out. Now, it's been a couple of years of Cody Bellinger sucking. This past year, he had 210. He had a 654 OPS. He struck out 150 times. It was abysmal. In 2021, he played 95 games. He hit 165. He had a 542 OPS. He has been a bad player for two years running. In 2020, when he played, he wasn't great, but he wasn't this bad. But in 2019, 
which is not eternity ago. He won the goddamn MVP and hit 47 home runs, 115 RBIs, and a 1,000 OPS. I'm not paying him $19 million, but if the LA Dodgers non-tender Cody Ballinger, not a bad option. Not a bad option. You don't want him, do you? <laughs> oh, you were waiting for me to comment on this guy? No, I don't want any point. Here's Evan. Like, this is the thing now, listen, to, uh, to be make a fair case, I've been high on the Glaber Torres train as far as why the hell do Yankee fans want to trade him so bad? Because he had a few years ago where he, what, hit 38 home runs. I know he fell off. The 2020 doesn't count to me for anybody. You could just toss that year away. I know 2021 was a down year, but this year he started to hit the ball better. He started to play. Listen, moving to second base, I think got himself out of his head. This is not a Glaber Torres podcast nor a Yankee podcast, but the point is similarity. 2019, they had good year, or was it 2019 for Torres or was it 2018 for him? But either way, they've had years of success. So yes, I'll buy into that, but my God, I want upgrades, dude. I can't be like, all right, Brandon Nimmo, we're not going to bring him back. So let's bring in Cody Bellinger, who can play a good defensive center fielder, and then what, turn it to Trent Grisham? I mean, listen, in the playoffs, I guess I'll take that. But overall, I, I don't know if I could do that uh, offensively. I can't see a Joey Gallo playing uh, or hitting on our team uh, for the Mets. Bellinger is best as an option of, hey, I'm taking a flyer on him. He's not best as an option of someone to rely on. I agree with you. I'm just bringing him up as a name because there aren't a lot of them. Uh, I know. Another option, and I'm going to give you two guys who are potential trade candidates because all you can do in trying to figure out trade candidates is use your noodle and think about the team, how much more years of control they have, and use logic. Would this team trade this guy? And then also, hey, locally, are there rumors about this team trading that guy. So I'll give you one that makes no sense. I I don't understand why this team would trade him, and that's Cedric Mullins of the Baltimore Orioles. He's 28 years old. He's got three more years of arbitration, so the Orioles should be in no rush to trade him. And the Orioles had a good year this year. But when they traded Trey Mancini and they traded Jorge Lopez, there were rumblings, which I didn't fully understand, of trading Cedric Mullins. Uh, there's a couple of issues here. No, but besides, you know, the skepticism that the Orioles would even trade him. If they did, if they took a 28-year-old left-handed hitting center fielder who's coming off not a great year this year, but two years ago had an awesome year. It was an all-star year. What are they expecting back? They're probably expecting a lot back. And it goes back to my point earlier that I don't think the Mets are hoarding their prospects to trade, no offense, for Cedric Mullins. I think they're doing it for a bigger fish. So, A, this wouldn't be the time to trade Mullins because he's not coming off a good season. And number two, why would you trade him if you're the Orioles? That's option number one. Option number two, this guy may be traded. And that's because the Pirates are a minor league team. And that's Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds has also three more years of arbitration eligibility. Actually, he has one more. They signed him to a contract, so he's paid for the next two years. And then there's a third year of arbitration. That's just getting into the weeds on it. But bottom line is, you control him for three more years. He's 28 years old. I've read in Pittsburgh, they think he's regressed as a center fielder. That essentially two years ago, he was great. He was a gold glover, and he was a gold glove finalist. And then for whatever reason this year, he completely regressed. I find that that's part of why I I question a lot of these uh, analytics that cover defense. 
You tell me he really got bad in one year from 26 to 27. He just sucks now defensively. I can understand guys getting better. He's getting worse. Reynolds had a productive offensive year. I'll give you his numbers. They're better than Nimmo. They're close, but they're better. 262, 27 home runs, 62 RBIs, 807 OPS. Essentially the same OPS, but hit for a lot more pop. They strike out a similar amount of time. Reynolds doesn't get on base quite as much. Switch hitter, 27 years old, so a few years younger than Nimmo. Great. I mean, I'd love Brian, I'd love Brian Reynolds, but it goes back to the cost. If the Pirates are trading him, what do they expect? And that's part of the problem, Pete. Like you said something earlier, I want to get better. I agree with you. If you lost Nimmo and your replacement is Brian Reynolds, just a trade-off, I'd say, okay, okay. He's a little bit younger. He's a switch hitter. Uh, I look back at what he did in 2021, and I say, that guy may be better. The problem is you got to trade for him. So you've weakened yourself in whatever you just dealt for Brian Reynolds. So Brian Reynolds, to me, of all the guys I can potentially name that may be available, is the Trey Turner excluded because Turner is obviously a better player. But we're talking more about my project of moving him to center field. Brian Reynolds is the best guy I can name. He is. He's he is, at least over the last two years, better than Nimmo, as good as Nimmo, however you want to define it. And it'd make a lot less money. But you got to trade for him. And the trading for guys thing is a turnoff. Because I just want to be a bully. I want to sign free agents and hoard all my prospects unless. I'm getting a absolute stud difference maker. And I like Reynolds. He's not that. Um, if you were to package him with their closer. Bender, yes. And, yes. Then I think that, that we'd have ourselves a deal depending on how much we have to give for them. For, for uh, give up. Because I, I agree. You can't give up a lot of uh, youth for a center fielder who, quote-unquote, is on the decline in the outfield. Can't do that. Another guy that you didn't mention, I'm surprised about that. Now, I understand last year wasn't a great year for him, offensively speaking. And I know that he's also one of these guys that is interchangeable. He's played some center field, but he's also an infielder. He's in Arizona. They have a bunch of – I don't know what the hell they're doing in Arizona. So that, to me, is always an open market as well. But Cattell Marte. He's someone that is, I feel like, could be up for grabs. And I'm not saying that he's at the elite list of center fielders, but he's someone that I think could could be in this offense an impact offensively. Now, defensively, I'm not really sure about his analytics in center field, but I'm sure that they're better than uh, some of the free agents that are out there. That's for sure. Yeah, he. so last year he basically played second base in DH. Uh, but he has played the outfield in the past. He hasn't played a ton of center field. He's mostly been a second baseman and a shortstop, but he does have experience in the outfield. He is signed, I think, to a long-term contract. They have him signed for a bunch of years on a relatively team-friendly deal. I think it goes back to the same thing, which is cost, which is, okay, that's a an adequate replacement. But A, what is he offensively? Because he didn't have a great year last year. And B, am I downgrading defensively in center field too? Probably since he's played so much infield the last couple of years. One option I also thought of, and he's also played center field, I don't think great, but he's played everywhere as Ian Happ. You know, the Chicago Cubs decided not to trade Ian Happ at the trade deadline. They decided to trade, not trade a couple of guys at the trade deadline. Ian Happ has one more year of control. That, to me, is like, I'd like Ian Happ as a DH candidate 
as a super utility. He plays all the time, but not locked in in one position candidate. He doesn't feel like the ideal replacement for Brandon Nemo. Look, here's the moral of the story, Pete. They're better off keeping him. Like that's uh, the, the end result is when you go through the internal options, when you go through the external options, we just mentioned a bunch of names, the downsides of all of them. The greatest upside is just keeping Brandon Nimmo. Uh, obviously, you could spend more and sign Trey Turner and say that's the upgrade. We've upgraded our offense by replacing Brandon Nimmo with Trey Turner. That's an absolute option. You could do the same thing with Aaron Judge, where no one would argue. Aaron Judge is an upgrade over Brandon Nimmo. Trey Turner offensively is an upgrade over Brandon Nimmo. But it's going to come at a really, really high cost financially as compared to what you're going to give Brandon Nimmo. So they're better off re-signing him. They're better off re-signing Jacob DeGrom like we discussed. You can only imagine what we're going to say in the Edwin Diaz podcast. They're better off re-signing Edwin Diaz. They really are, and I, I don't know if they will, but they are better off keeping their guys. I haven't mentioned an emotional attachment to Nimmo the way I did, Jake. I, I sort of do. I mean, Nimmo's, Nimmo's a guy I like. I think we all like him. I don't think anybody dislikes Brandon Nimmo. Um, I guess because he's not an all-time great, I wouldn't have this, oh, my God, he can't play for another team feel. It would be weird to see Brandon Nimmo on another team. It'd be strange, especially if it's the Yankees. They lose Aaron Judge, and they naturally say, let's go get Brandon Nimmo. That'd be effed up. That'd be weird. It'd be strange to see Nimmo in a Yankee uniform. But I don't have that same reaction I had with DeGrom and even Alfonso when they lost him to the Giants, where I say he cannot play for another team. I think I say it very businesslike. They're better off keeping him. Like, it's just a straight-up baseball decision. And we just went through why. They are better off keeping Brandon Nimmo, but my stomach doesn't crawl with the idea of him in another jersey. Is it odd though? Like you, you were looking at this team that was 101 wins. They it soured us so much the way that they failed, and yet you look at the the free agents, the top free agents that are out there. Three out of the, the top free agents are our guys. Yeah, and we just said how we kind of have to keep them. But then if that's the case, and this is to, uh, some other issues in the league too for some other teams that are like, oh, what are we doing? We kind of feel stale. How do you get better if you stay the same? Well, my answer to this is not going to make you happy. And I know it didn't make Sal happy, and I know it doesn't make a lot of Met fans happy. But the way you get better is that you call up guys and they contribute. And Francisco Alvarez, to me, is a game changer. Because if Francisco Alvarez is half as good offensively as we think he can be, the New York Met lineup has just changed dramatically. So it's boring sometimes to say that, but it's the reality. The Houston Astros lost Carlos Correa in free agency a year ago, and the kid who replaced him is not only going to get some rookie of the year votes, he's not going to win, obviously, because of Julio, but he was the ALCS MVP. You know, when the Astros, I hate to use them again, but they are the gold standard, when they <laughs> lost Garrett Cole, it's not as if they woof, replaced him with Framber Valdez became really good. Christian Javier became really good. So I know that after the embarrassment of the way this season ended and knowing Steve Cohen owns this team, there's this feeling of 
We need to shake it up. We need to remind MLB who we are. And while I'd still love to see it in the right spot, I think if you ask the question, well, how do you get better if the priority is just keeping Diaz and keeping Nimmo and keeping DeGrom and then the payroll's over $300 million and they're not doing anything big, yeah, it's your young guys have to do well. And I'll surmise it real quick with what the biggest issue is with the Yankees. The biggest issue with the Yankees is not analytics. The biggest issue with the Yankees is all their kids haven't panned out that their young guys that they were going to rely on, Gary Sanchez, Claybor Torres, Clint Frazier, Greg Bird, you go down the list, they didn't turn out to be what Brian Cashman had hoped for. And so the New York Mets have three guys who we barely saw this year, we barely saw them, that are going to have big impacts on the Met lineup next year. Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos. So look, we'll go deeper into what else they can do. And that doesn't mean they can't make a big move. But if the, if the, if the result you have Pete is all right, I love Brandon, but all we're going to do is keep our guys. How the hell do we get better? That's how you get better. But do you agree? You know, this exercise of looking at contracts and looking at alternatives that the best scenario for the Mets Besides signing Judge, let's just put that aside. Obviously, Aaron Judge is a great player. Assuming the Mets don't blow Judge away and say, all right, Judge is replacing Nimmo. He's the center fielder. We'll move Marte there once in a while. But it's Judge, Marte, Canna in the outfield. Judge, Marte, McNeil in the outfield. Other than that, do you agree that re-signing Brandon Nimmo is the best course of action? Turner's the only, the better one. Turner, if I had to pick one of two, it would be it judges not the, not included, it's Turner. Okay. I want Turner. I want Trey Turner on the New York Mets because he seems like he could we talked about this before. Who can play in New York? Turner can play anywhere. And he can literally play anywhere on the field. And I think that guy could be an asset and could add more to the lineup that we desperately need. Yeah, and he steals bases too, which is not an attribute of Brandon Nimmo's game. You know, Trey Turner hits for no. a higher average, doesn't walk quite as much, but, you know, can steal base. That's for damn sure. I mean, this guy goes out and steals 25, 30 bases a year. I'm not sure that's going to last forever because he's 29 years old. He is a little bit younger than Brandon Nimmo. So your vote here is let Nimmo go and replace him with Trey Turner. He's more expensive. There's the conversion to center field. That would be an issue. All, of course, assuming he's willing to make that conversion, that would be your choice, even if it's much, 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 much more expensive. Triple the price. Uh, I, I I think he's an upgrade okay. in a lot of different areas. I think it upgrades the team. Um, but there's got a lot of – there will have to be a lot more to be done to – to be make that sufficient as far as, you know, squaring up some other, okay. other parts of the team. So let's figure it out this way. Your best option is Judge or Trey Turner. Yeah. No, which one? Trey Turner or Aaron Judge? Oh, I trust Turner. Yeah. I, I agree with you, and I know that's not maybe what some Met fans looking for blood want to hear because they just want to stick it to the Yankees. But I don't. I don't care about that, by the no, way. That's, I agree. Not the, that's not the point of judge. I, no, I don't care. He's a talented player. Okay. I think he's amazing. I think he's one of the be- the biggest stars in the league. I mean, if he became a Met, I'd be very happy about it. But if you're talking about the two versatile players, 
I think Turner makes an impact throughout the entire season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If if this is in its own vacuum, not going to affect going after other free agents and keeping Jacob DeGrom, and it's just Steve Cohen saying, I want to get better, I'd agree with you. I'd put Trey Turner in center field number one, Judge two, Nimmo three. But after that, and, and I, I think we'd all agree, Judge is unrealistic. Turner, the idea of Turner, maybe. I mean, he likes New York, but the conversion to center field is a question. After those three options with Nimmo being third, that's it. Like we wouldn't want to go down the road of uh, trading for Cedric Mullins or trading for Brian Reynolds or signing Cody Bellinger or Kevin <laughs> Kiermeyer or that kind of plow. No, I'd agree with I you. Agree. I, I would also predict that the New York Mets will resign Brandon Nemo. I think ultimately he will return to the New York Mets and I'll go on record and say the contract will be five years. One ten. Five one ten for the Brandon Nimmo contract. So we'll check it out and see how accurate we are. We also have a podcast coming about other free agents, including Edwin Diaz, and a podcast about all the other free agents as we get set for the offseason. Because it's going to be here before you know it. Before you know it. Uh, any comments or questions, you can leave it in the uh, the podcast comment section, or you can tweet at me at Evan Roberts, WFAN. Check out Hoff with Tiki and Tierney, 10 a.m. on the fan, me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Thanks for listening to another exciting edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.